Supply Chain Summit 2020, all virtual, biggest in the world. Here's a new start to our podcast, but I wanted to let everybody know that we are organizing the biggest virtual event with 50 global speakers and a lot of great companies, great case studies and sharings on different relevant topics of supply chain, 16th, 17th of July. Do join us. Ping me on LinkedIn, find me and ping me and I will get you a heavily discounted ticket as long as you do that before the 10th of July. See you there. Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamariu, Managing Director of Alcott Global. It's my pleasure to have with us today Hannah Kane, CEO and founder of Alom. Alom is a global supply chain contract packaging and fulfillment company with a footprint on five continents and 19 locations. Headquartered is in Silicon Valley, California. Alom serves Fortune 100 and leading customers worldwide in the technology, medical, automotive, telecommunication, and government sectors. Prior to founding the company in 1997, Hanna held various management and executive positions dating back to 1983 with a wide range of experiences in the packaging industry since 1990. I would like to start by first and foremost welcoming you, Hanna, and thanks a lot for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. And I wanted to, to first and foremost start with your personal story because it's absolutely a unique one as far as I'm concerned. You were born in Denmark. You immigrated to the U.S. in 1990. You taught at Copenhagen Business School, which is the most prestigious business school in Denmark. You're a published author. You have three universities degrees. You had a 30-year management career. You set up ALOM. Tell us a little bit about, you know, about that. Unpack that a little bit for us. Sure. I started my journey in Denmark, as you said. I was born in the town of the fairy tale author Hans Christian Andersen. And as I grew up, I really developed a political as well as a business career. Uh, so while I was studying, I... Uh, had a lot of different jobs and also had the opportunity to be very involved in politics. It gave me the opportunity to meet some really unique and big personalities. And that has really, I, I like to learn from everybody around myself. And it gave me the opportunity to learn from some of the biggest personalities in politics in Europe and in fact, in the world, I got the opportunity to be at the United Nations uh, General Assembly. I, I, I tried a lot of different things. So one of the things that's really important for me is to live a life of no regrets and to uh, try different things and have an open mind. In 1990, my husband and I decided that we were going to buy a one-way ticket to the United States. And so we arrived exactly these days, 30 years ago, and really built a new life here. And I love being in Silicon Valley. It's very stimulating, lots of innovation, new ideas, especially when you're in supply chain. Supply chain is, of course, very technology dependent. Actually, technology is driving supply chain more than the other way around. And lots of entrepreneurial spirit, which I love. So it's been a really interesting journey and still ongoing. Mm. Moving to Alom for a five-year-old, and I think that was the challenge right, that I, I passed to you. For a five-year-old, how would you explain what you do as a company? 
I'm not sure whether five-year-old will work, but uh, let me try this. Let's say you are on a shopping cart and you click the submit button. Maybe that order goes to Elon and we ship and fulfill the order. We may also charge a credit card. We may also have built the website you're on. You think you do business with one of our customers, but reality is you do business with us. And so we sent that out in the world. But in the meantime, we also, of course, had it in our warehouse. And we had it in our warehouse because we produced it. So we will buy the parts that go into what, you, what we ship to you. We will also put it together, assemble it, and then we will configure it so that it's ready for you to use. We have quite a few high-tech customers, and generally our customers are very technology-rich, so we tend to be able to help them configure products and get them out to the consumer in a manner that really makes it easy to use once it gets out to the consumer. Mm. In the medical industry, as you mentioned, and do a lot of traceability. And one of the really satisfying things here during the COVID-19 crisis has been that we have become part of the solution to the crisis for many of our customers and also new customers coming in that have uh, solutions such as testing kits that we are shipping out or air purifiers that cut down on the virus in the environment. So that has been tremendously gratifying. Mm. And and what's what's tell us a little bit about the story behind the company, right? You set it up in 1997. Now you're on five continents, 19 locations. It's mind blowing in terms of, you know, what you have achieved. But why did you start it? How did you start? Just you know, I know it's it's been a while. But for all the startup entrepreneurs, young, not so young people listening, and they want to start our their own company, I think that's that's valuable information. Well, first of all, it's has been a real journey and I'm so enjoying it. I feel that being an entrepreneur and running my company, that's really what I was meant to do. So in a way, I felt very much like coming home. But I was actually what I usually refer to as gainfully employed before I started Elam. And I just felt like I, I needed to, to do it and try to be an entrepreneur. I had helped other entrepreneurs start their companies. I had been advising them. I had been working with them in different capacities in prior jobs. And I felt now it was something I really wanted to do. And that was then also with a vision. So I had a vision for what, where supply chain would go and what could be done in supply chain. And one of the key elements in the vision was to use technology. And so when we started up, we were probably the first company in the industry to have extranets, as it was called at that time. Now you would call them a customer portal. But in 1997, that was unheard of. And our first customers were just blown away that they could go on the web and they could see their inventory and things like that. So. You know, I like the idea about being a technology pioneer in the space, being the quality leader, 
So we are still very focused on quality and service and work mainly with companies who really value the customer experience. You mentioned medical, you mentioned healthcare. I'd, I'd like to take some examples. You mentioned that you have technology clients. Maybe could you share, and, and if you can, the names, if you can't, don't share the names, of some of your client success stories and, and how, how did you help them? Maybe some, you know, some examples, some numbers, some, you know, some markets and so on. Well, again, here during the COVID-19 crisis, we have customers who have all of a sudden shipped maybe five times as much as they used to. And that's a big ramp up in very, very short order. So what we do, we have what in supply chain is referred to as agility. It's one of our key value adds from our customers is very, very agile. So as we were ramping here, we really took that agility to the forefront and worked with our customers to make sure that their customers were fully served. So some examples of what we're doing for our customers and time stories. Um, we are, as you mentioned, shipping worldwide. We have been very focused during the COVID-19 crisis in ramping up, really taking our agility and making that work for our customers such that they could service our, their customers and get test kits and other products out in, in the marketplace. But a very interesting case study that we have done is around one of the big automakers where we are working with some of the technology going into the dashboards on the vehicles and they are upgrading this technology. How do you get that out to consumers in a way that really works well? So we are managing websites for this client. We are not just managing the website, we are also managing the entire financial supply chain. So when you think about supply chains, you have the physical supply chain, you have the, the data supply chain, and you've got financial supply chain. So what we typically would do with, for this client is we build a website. It's branded for that client. It's branded for this automaker. If you go in, you think that you are doing business with them, but we are running everything in the background. And when we go in and see, and you go in and want to buy this piece of technology, this upgrade, we actually go into their database, we verify who you are and which vehicle you have, and we then custom configure the version that you need for your vehicle, and we will send that out to you in a physical format, since it's just too much data to download even today. So as you can see, we're, we're managing the physical supply chain, the data supply chain, and the the financial supply chain. So this is just a brief overview over something we are doing for that customer. So auto, automotive is getting to be really interesting because there's so much technology involved in the automotive supply chain today. But all of our customers have their own intricacies. And I think that's one of the areas that makes it very interesting for me and very interesting for everybody in supply chain is that each situation is different and we have a very big tool set needs different parts of our tool sets to make it really hard. So we take very, very complex situations and try to make them very simple over to the customers using our advanced systems internally.
It's been one of, of my big satisfactions has been, again, the technology being part of building such a strong technology foundation that allows us to customize for each of our customers. Mm-hmm. And reminder, our virtual supply chain summit, 16th and 17th of July, we have 6,000 people that have registered from 109 countries with people speaking at sea level executives from FMCG aerospace, technology, electronics, and healthcare and pharmaceutical companies. All relevant topics do come and join us. And to get a heavily discounted tickets specifically for our podcast listeners, ping me on LinkedIn before the 10th of July and we'll get you one. I just want to ask you a bit more in depth on that technology piece because how I'm starting to envisage uh, envisage the biggest advantage that you bring to your clients are is the fact that they can be extremely and insanely, if you if we are to use this term, insanely focused on developing, making, and and creating the best products. And then you you take that product to the market. You take care of everything else that that needs to be done for that product to reach the customer. So that's how I'm very simplistically understanding it. I may be wrong. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, no, you're, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't do their marketing. So they've got to do the innovation themselves, the product design and the marketing, but we are executing on virtually everything else. Yes, exactly. Yeah, marketing, yeah, I meant the website. You're right. So what I wanted to, what I wanted to ask on the technology that you, on your, ultimately, this is your unique selling proposition, right? This is what you bring to the table that, that, as far as I understand it, helps most your clients. The fact that you have these technologies and systems that can be customized to their need, to their pain, for you to become their partner, right, in helping them take to market these products. Can you tell us, without obviously revealing the secret sauce, without you know giving away the KFC, like they say, right, the KFC secret recipe of fried chicken, but what are some of the, tell us a little bit about this, you know, technology systems. What is it? Make, make it a little bit more, you know, give us some flavor of, of what you're using. Well, so obviously there's ERP, enterprise resource planning system. There's warehouse management system. There's quality. There's customer facing portal called Compass. There's an internal portal called Radar. There's a supplier facing portal called Sona. There's a number of different systems that are integrated that cover different parts of the technology needed. And so what we have done over the years is taking off-the-shelf systems in as far as possible and customize them for our needs and for our customers' needs. And as we have selected them, we have been very focused on, of course, the security and the stability, and that's a totally important part that we can talk about separately. But also the customization, the ability to have the flexibility, such that it's, again, when we start with a new customer, we will sit down with them and understand what they are trying to achieve, where their customers are, where their current suppliers are, and we'll then start optimizing their supply chain. And that is how do we service their channels best? Where, where do we position the inventory best? How do we optimize the data flow and still comply with regulations? Is there a way to optimize the inventory? We do postponement. That means we take their products and 
keep them in a raw form until the customer orders them and then we customize it to that customer. It allows our customers to then cut down on the inventory they are keeping. So we, we do a number of these things and, and in order to do that, we have the systems that will fit into that's very stable and that can be custom configured. Mm. And then, of course, we have a, a lot of connectivity and uh, we always have the discussion about how much connectivity do we actually have. But we typically we have we go into our customers enterprise wide systems. We are connected sometimes with our customer's shopping cart, if that's, we are going into theirs and then we are not using ours. We are connected, of course, to all the carriers. All, so we have a lot of connectivity going on and very complex setup. Mm-hmm. And around that, we have, of course, security. So we are two certified for security. So supply chain, so cybersecurity is of paramount importance. Lots of bad actors out there and, you know, the last couple of years, a lot of carriers have been hit by ransomware attacks and other cyber attacks. So cybersecurity is is really high on our list and we have a very strong precautionary measures along with data privacy measures. So it's a really big animal. It's, uh, as you can probably hear from my tone of voice, one of the areas that I love to be involved in and it really technology makes so much possible that would never have been possible before right when a lot of people when they talk about technology they think about visibility and visibility supply chain visibility is really important again we, we've been into supply chain visibility for on for longer than almost anybody else in the industry However, visibility is only one of the areas where technology can help. And sometimes I think uh, people are overestimating visibility versus other technology advantages. Mm. But of course, I mean, we, we, we do have a really advanced business intelligence system that we actually give to our customers as part of the service we offer them. It allows them to do real-time analytics and uh, a lot of our customers are making much, much better decisions after getting our business intelligence solution. Mm. COVID-19, you know, we've had, a, we've had a, a lot of different things. It's almost like crisis is the new normal, but this kind of topped everything that we have, you know, we, have, we had seen before. How do you see the impact in the global supply chains moving forward in a sense of how will this major health crisis and economic crisis, of course, that is also happening, shape the future of supply chains in the next 12, 24, 36 months? Yeah, so I think your question is good because I feel that when through this immediate crisis situation and now we are in what I would call trans-pandemic, so we're still in a pandemic, and that's going to be uh, 12, 24 months where we are in what you could call trans-pandemic. And then hopefully we, we all hope we'll get into a post-pandemic situation. So as we, we saw a lot of upheaval when the COVID-19 hit, uh, and, and it was quite, a, it started out with supply problems out of China. 
and then it shifted into changes in demand. So nobody needed the, the fancy purses because they couldn't leave home, but everybody needed more food for home as opposed to restaurants. Just a lot of shifting going on. So uh, people started buying differently. They went away from buying in shops, obviously, to buying on the web. I think the increased buying on the web is going to stick. And, you know, it was a trend more and more and more. Retail business went over to e-commerce. That's going to continue. And we're going to continue to see e-commerce growing and lots of opportunities there. We are also going to see some, some shops closing down. Shops that barely hung out on before the crisis hit. And then we are going to see a shift in demand for the foreseeable future. I think we'll see a little bit less luxury consumption. So I wouldn't want to invest in, in luxury brands right now because I think as we are going through a financial crisis also, there will be a lot of cutback on that. One thing I'm following very closely is, of course, not just the supply side, because the supply side, let me first talk about the supply side, maybe, because the supply side really got to be very clear to everybody when China, part of China shut down. And we still have a crisis going on in China and different parts of China. And then, of course, we have the trade war and the barbs going between the U.S. and China. And so it's a problem and it's a big problem, especially for medical supplies as getting paperware, etc., out of China. And I also think that we're going to continue to see a supply problem as we are shifting into, for instance, manufacturing vaccines. As we are talking about billions of vaccines, we are going to see shortages of vials and a number of other components of vaccines and other preventive measures for COVID-19. So one thing, as I said, one area I'm following really closely is also the freight. So the freight on the route from China to the US, the air freight just went up by a factor five within a couple of weeks. It's now gone down a little bit, but Certainly freight is a big concern. It's a concern because freight has been so uneven through all of this. Many small players going out of business because industrial businesses closed down or their volume went down. And some of the big players having problems keeping up, especially in the parcel area. I think we are going to continue to see a lot of freight upheaval. And if I had a piece of advice for supply chain professionals, it's to pay quite a bit of attention to the entire logistics and freight aspect, both in terms of cost, but also in terms of delay in crossing borders and bringing product out of countries and into countries. In Africa, it's, it's become a big problem where many countries demand that the truck drivers are tested each time they cross a border. And the entire supply chain has been disrupted with what would normally take maybe a week, uh, now takes six weeks. And transporting perishable goods is a huge challenge in Africa today. So I think freight is going to be a really big area. Mm-hmm.
And wow. then finally, once we get out of uh, the COVID-19 and maybe also now, I think many supply chain professionals are thinking about how can they make their supply chain more risk tolerant, more agile, more reliable. And so we may see more near sourcing where suppliers are put closer to where the product actually will be sold. So you'll see more U.S. suppliers in the U.S., you'll see more Asian suppliers in Asia, etc. And, and hopefully even to a large extent in the actual market where the product is being in the actual country or trade zone where product is being used. So I think the, everybody has gotten more conscious about the problems, uh, say, if you put all the production in China, how are you ever going to get the, the product out of China if there's a problem? So everybody has learned a fairly expensive lesson now. And I think that we have a generation of supply chain professionals who are going to change behavior. And I think that will be lasting behavior, thinking about risk and supply chain security in a totally different manner. Wanted to, to shift now a little bit back on and, and, and back and, and front a little bit there, but on the topic of diversity in, in, in a way, in a broader way, obviously is a, is a bigger, bigger picture discussion, but you are a woman founder, a woman CEO. There's been a lot of discussions, especially in the last years, and it's rightful discussions in terms of how do we achieve more diversity? How do we get first and foremost, you know, more women on boards, more women in C-level positions, and of course, the broader diversity across, you know, ages, races, and so on. But let's talk about strictly about you as a woman entrepreneur. You, you've transformed and, and are successful as a global business leader. You, you set up a company. Any sharings for the women out there who may want to step on this journey? Any, you know, any war scars and so on? <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of battle scars, but uh, I'll tell you what. One of the beautiful things is once you realize that you can be in charge of your own destiny and your decisions, and you can decide what you want to tolerate and not tolerate. And so over time, I've certainly encountered the discriminatory remarks, etc. But I'll tell you the one person who robbed me the worst probably some, some decades ago I calculated that when I left the negotiating table because I felt I just couldn't do business with him. And I think he lost more than $20 million worth of business. So it was not a problem for me, it was a problem for him. And I think we are seeing that fortunately more and more that if you don't respect whoever you want to do business with or collaborate with or work for or work with, if you don't respect other people, it's coming back to bite you. And so that's, that's what I see more than anything. So my advice for the five-year-old girl who is sitting and listening to this is if you have a dream, figure out a way to make that dream come true. And I think everybody has obstacles in their way. I think men do. I think people of different races, people of different nationalities, religions, etc. Everybody has obstacles. Some have more obstacles than others. But in the end, it's about how you tackle these obstacles and how are you 
focused on your goals. So find allies, find others who believe in you, surround yourself with really strong people and supporters. And supporters are not just yay-sayers, they are also the people who can tell you when you're wrong and they help you find your way. But people who believe in you and your premises for what it is you want to do and create this network and then just go for it. Mm. Right. And I, I want to, you know, I want to talk a little bit about some elephants in the room because one, I know that, that you're somebody that is straight and, 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 and somebody that I would appreciate to have this discussion with. There is also, and it's obviously in terms of having more women in the C-suite, having more women on boards, I wanted to ask also the question, how do you see this, right? So obviously in the last couple of years, there's been a strong push, I think, across Fortune 500 companies. There's been, you know, we've seen even quotas, I think. There's different ways in which companies are trying to push for that. Mm-hmm. But how, how do you see that? How, what works? What doesn't work? You know, what's your thoughts in that? My thoughts are that probably a little bit controversial because I believe that there are going to be winners in a marketplace and losers in a marketplace. And I believe the losers are the ones who don't understand that you need to have an inclusive thought process. And the thought process is not just a piece of paper or, or a website or whatever. It's, it's how you go about thinking about your marketplace your staff members, your suppliers, just a totally inclusive thinking. And there are certainly companies out there who don't feel that way. And I feel that they will fail in the marketplace. I feel that diverse companies have a much better chance of success. They have a different, more global, more innovative outlook on the world, and they are going to succeed. Now, that being said, am I impatient for diversity to come sooner than uh, maybe the marketplace would, uh, would allow? Yes, I am. I am very active in diverse courses and have been for decades. I do believe that the more women we can get in top leadership positions, the more women they are bringing in with them. And there's a lot of evidence showing that which is why we now have this broader level of women who are ready to go into the C-suites and on boards, etc. And I believe the same can be accomplished in racial matters and a number of other minority matters. So it's, it's a question of opening it up and working with the companies that have an open mind. And again, if I had to give an advice a piece of advice to to somebody who's entering the workplace right now. It is don't go into a place where you don't feel at home or where your contributions will never be, be managed. You will be unhappy and you will be fighting an uphill battle. And honestly, why use your forces for something that's a bad cause? I mean, it's simply a bad cause to work for a company that has other overt or, or secret uh, discrimination. I mean, go to a place where they really value you. They value people that look and talk and act like you. So don't, don't fight the uphill battle. 
Mm. One more elephant in the room question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I think a lot of, especially maybe women, but probably minorities too, get trapped in that they get a job and then they find out that they're not really valued, but they keep fighting. And as I mentor young and also sometimes not so young women who are way up in their career, why, why, why would you work there? If uh, this is how you feel about the work environment, go to another place where you are valued. Mm. And, and for sure what you mentioned with the fact that we have more role models in the public eye, stepping up, speaking up, people like yourself, people in, from diverse backgrounds, from diverse cultures, from, you know, from different races. I think there's obviously there's a huge movement right now in the U.S. also for Black Lives Matter and so on, so, which I don't want to dwell too much into. But I, I did want to ask you a little bit, because this is my own observation, and it may or may not be correct, but strictly from a women perspective and, and women versus men perspective, right? And I actually got this from a woman who told me this. She said, Radu, woman would go for a job if she is 120% ready. A man would go for the same job if he is 70% ready. Now, of course, it's a huge generalization. Of course, it doesn't apply to everybody. But my observation is that it tends to be, the tendencies seem to be there on the one side. Then I'll use another example where even in terms of speaking up, right? So we discussed a little bit before we started the recording. I mean, I have, you know, we, we're putting together a, a digital event right now and I have invited as keynote speakers the same amount of women and men. And 90% of the men said yes. Only one woman, which is approximately 20%, said yes. So I, I you know, even if I wanted as a summit organizer to have, you know, exactly the same amount of numbers of women and men, it seems there seems to be a little bit of, I don't know how to call it, shyness or... so. I wanted to ask, what's your thoughts on this? Well, so, of course, many of the women who are out there speaking are the same you see over and over again. And so there's certainly an option that they are overworked. Um, I also feel it's important that we give the next level of women a chance to go out there and shine. So I'm happy to, to help you with that problem. But... In terms of the competency, I think that women are very used to having their competency questioned. And that, of course, creates that shyness. If, if you've got to justify all the time or feel you've got to justify all the time your competency, you want to be 100% sure that you're competent before you sign up for something. So, you know, a lot of the behavior we see with women it's really caused by that women have picked up on that this is probably the best way to behave. A good example is uh, asking for salary. Generally, when women ask for more compensation, they are considered egoistical, pushy, etc. When men ask for salary, not so much. So the Stanford Institute for Gender Research did a study around this about the attitudes that, that come up when women ask for anything for themselves. And so, yes, women don't ask for salary as much and they are not as aggressive as they negotiate, but it's because they are perceived so negatively when they are. So there are really reasons for these type of behaviors. 
So one of the things as a woman or as a minority, you need to find a way to navigate around that, or you need to be in an environment where you don't need to navigate around it, where you are accepted for your contribution and for what you can do in the future. So you've got to make those two, that choice with, are you going to find a way you can navigate in a bad environment or you're going to be in a, in a better environment? Mm. So I do believe many women uh, don't like public speaking, but I also think that that's correct for men. I think many, many men would be hesitant in going on stage. So I don't think that you'll see uh, women generally shying away once they get up to a certain level. We just need to work on getting more women up to that level. No, and I'll for sure take you. I'll for sure take you on your offer to introduce me to more of those. <laughs> and, and it would be my pleasure to have them and, and promote them and, and have them share. Because I think that power of example is so so important and you know it's part of all of us men women black white anything in between right asian it doesn't matter right what we stand for but i think it's it's on all of us to build that diversity and inclusiveness for us for our kids and so on final question from me hannah what is the best career advice that you could share for the young folks out there that are listening trying to make a career for themselves or trying to set up their own business or so on a lot of people will say, do what you love, but I want to turn it around. It's love what you do. So when you get a task or take a job, always give your best. Always think about how can I make this better? What is it it takes to be successful? Think about what am I measured on? What, what does success feel like? Make sure you are connecting with people around you to understand the environment you're working in and also the expectations. Set expectations both at home and at work. And then think about yourself as you're the CEO of your own career. What does, should that look like? What is a goal for you career-wise? Do you want to become a specialist in a specific field? Do you want to be famous? Do you want to get be highly paid? Uh, do you want to have a very limited responsibility where you can focus more on family life? What is what that's important for you in your career? Nobody else can make those choices. And I find that many times young people don't think about them that early on. And many places in the world, there's been the fallacy that you can just go to college and that's a good thing. And that's only a good thing if it fits into your career and it's something that you're studying, something that can really help you. Otherwise, you're just getting older and not really moving your career forward. So be very deliberate about how you want to spend your time and your years and what is important for you. Right. And, and, then, oh, and then I'm always saying go into supply chain if you're a woman, right? Because women actually in supply chain, and I need to say this now, we talked about diversity. Women, are, supply chain is actually one of the areas where there's a lot of, of subfields where women are making more money than men on average. It's one of the areas where women are well compensated. So when you look at the salary gap between men and women, 
It's much lower in supply chain in general, especially in procurement. Women are making more money than men. So uh, I always uh, say to the women who ask for career advice, think about supply chain. It's uh, <laughs> got a lot of things going for it. No, that's an awesome plug. That's an awesome plug, uh, and, and thanks for, uh, for for doing that. And I will reinforce that from an executive search and recruitment perspective, since we do a lot on that side in supply chain. And uh, it's one hundred percent true. And my teams of headhunters are always asked by clients, especially in the last couple of years. You know, can you find us a kick-ass uh, female, <laughs> if I can use the, the the technical term, right? So, and definitely, I I echo what you're saying that that. that probably in supply chain procurement, logistics as well. They are highly qualified and also very well paid uh, females out there. So yes, the more the merrier. Thanks yeah. a lot for the sharing, Hannah. Thanks a lot for joining us for all the good examples, for the very open sharing. And it's been a pleasure sharing with you today. Thank you. I've certainly enjoyed being on the show. So thank you for having me. Super. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcottglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.